Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the JAR. We're so glad that you're here today. Well, we're in week two of our series uh, called Stuff Happens. And last week, one of the things that we learned was that uh, we're not in control of everything. That stuff happens in our life, and we're not all in control. And we looked at a particular passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that actually uh, gives us uh, what we want to focus on uh, throughout this series and something that I would encourage you to memorize uh, by uh, maybe Thanksgiving. So the scripture will come up on the side screens, and uh, let's read this out loud uh, with one voice. Let's read it out loud. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. We learned that all things happen to all people. Good things and bad things happen to all people, whether you're really close to God or you're disconnected from God. We learned that God works for good in all things, that he's always working. He doesn't always, uh, things don't always work out, but God is always working for the good. I mean, he is working for good and he does it because he loves us. Now, it doesn't mean that you're always going to get a good circumstance in every single uh, area of your life. But what it means is that God wants to do something good in you so that you can have the character of Christ in you as you go through your life. Um, Good things uh, don't always tend to happen to us, but God says, no matter what, I want good things to happen in you. This means that God wants to allow his character to be in us. We also learned that uh, good people, uh, whether they're uh, close to God or disconnected from God, that God wants to do good things for all people, no matter who they are. And we can know this. We don't have to guess it. We don't have to estimate it. We can know this and we can actually live with that knowledge. And we also learn that as we go through our life, moment by moment, as you go through your day, having eyes to look and to see what is it that God's doing in the stuff that happens around us. Now, today we're going to talk about something that is very, very important. It's something that we don't control, and it's healing. Healing happens. A few uh, years ago, I trained for the Indy Mini. It's a uh, half marathon down in Indianapolis. And I didn't just train to finish the race. I actually trained to have a particular time. And it was a pretty intense uh, uh, workout schedule. And I finally got to the week before the race, and I noticed that my left foot was kind of sore. It, It hurt a little bit. So I went to a friend of ours. Uh, who's a sports medicine doc, and I said, hey, I'm having this problem. He's like, ah, you runners, you always do this. When the race is getting close, you think there's some uh, phantom injury that you have. It's all in your head. I was like, hey, thanks for the support, man. You know, I appreciate that. So I got ready for the race, and he was right. I didn't have any pain or anything in my foot, and I took off, and uh, I was feeling really good. And then about mile three, I felt 
a crack uh, kind of happened that, that sounded like a crack in my foot. But I had so much adrenaline and I had trained so much, I just kept running and I finished the race until I finally crossed the line. And after I crossed the line, immediately my, begot, my body began an amazing series of responses. First of all, through a process called no, no susception, it sent tremendous pain signals to my brain saying, you should have stopped at mile three, okay? This caused me to not put any weight on my left foot because it was broken. We actually have an x-ray there uh, of kind of where the break is. The, the break actually is down the third uh, you see it there, the third toe. There's a clear break uh, right there. The little platelets uh, went to the area where my foot had snapped, and they began a clotting process that both stops the bleeding and keeps infection from getting to the rest of my body. Then in the next phase after that, something called leukocytes flooded into my foot, bringing healing. They were like heroes. They were like, da-da-da-da, we're going to save the day. Then something called macrophages came like little Pac-Men, and they began to eat them. Then there was a final phase of healing that took place three months later called the remodeling phase, where new bone and new tissue knits together with the broken bone and the broken tissue, and healing takes place. Now, what is astounding about that whole process is that I didn't even understand it. In fact, my wife had to take me through all of those medical terms this week because I had no clue what had happened. Somehow I did it, but... I didn't really do it. Healing just happens. It's not always under my control. It's not always the way I want. It's not always uh, the way that I want it to happen. Sometimes it leaves a scar. Sometimes it leaves a limp. It's an amazing thing about our world. And so this leads us to what is our big idea for this morning. And you can fill this in. I only gave you one. So you can fill this in in your program or it'll come up uh, on the side screens. You can fill it in. And it's this. Healing is a part of God's plan for your life. Or if you want, you can put it on our app, uh, on that outline. But healing is a part is of God's plan for your life. God is a healing God. He loves to heal. And because of that, Healing happens. And at the end of this celebration, I'm going to give you an opportunity for whatever is broken in your life. Maybe a relationship, maybe something from your past, maybe some physical ailment, whatever is going on in your life. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of the celebration to come and to receive some prayer for healing. But healing doesn't just stop with our bodies. Go uh, through the earth, and what you'll find is healing happens there as well. When a tremendous fire comes, and 
you know, like the fires in California where things are just charred all over the place uh, on the earth. That somehow, even when all that fire takes place, there is a little miracle that often happens. And there are these little green sprouts that begin to shoot up. I read this week about sequoia trees. And sequoia trees and their little pine cones, they have a little seed that's inside of it that gives new life, that can grow a new tree. But they do not come out ever unless a fire comes and destroys the tree. And then in that moment, the seed is released and new life comes. It's like God somehow built healing even into how the earth works. Healing happens. Now, most everybody I know typically falls into one of two camps. You're either a thrower or a saver. And typically, uh, people marry a person of the opposite side. If either you're a thrower or a saver. If you're a thrower, what do you do? Just throw stuff away. Okay? A few years ago, uh, we bought a little betta fish for my uh, oldest daughter, Jordan. And we loved the fish. Everything was going well for the fish. And then we went to Chicago over Christmas break. And I decided, in order to save some money we would just turn off the heat in the house. So I turned off the heat. My dad uh, was feeding the fish during this time, and uh, he called me one day and he said, it's 39 degrees in your house. And he said, the fish doesn't look very good. And at that point I was like, well, maybe we can save it. We'll just like turn up the heat, you know. And so I said, well, go ahead, uh, just turn the heat back up again, and everything will be fine. And so uh, he turned the heat up, several hours went by, he's like, hey, it's 70 degrees in here now, and uh, the fish still is not looking very good. Now at that point, I start getting concerned, because I have to give the information, not to Jordan, but to my wife. And I tell her what's going on, but to my amazement, she said this, well, just tell your dad to flush it and we'll get a new one. We had a a chair that my mother-in-law gave to us. It was a chair that I liked. It was a little rocking chair. I noticed that the upholstery on it started to wear down a little bit. The base of the rocking chair uh, started to have a a little uh, break on the bottom of it. And I said, hey, honey, you know the... The chair's not looking so good. And she said, it's all right, throw it away. We'll get a new one. A couple months ago, I had a pretty bad cold and I wasn't feeling very well. (laughs) And, uh, well, I decided not to tell Jen uh, because I knew what would happen to me. Well, God's chosen people, the people of Israel... What they learned about God very early on is that God doesn't throw stuff away. When stuff breaks, He doesn't throw it away. Actually, they learned that God was a saver. That God loved to take 
whatever broken stuff there was, and he liked to refurbish it, to save it, to make it happen, and for healing to take place. Because God is a healing God. In fact, after the people of Israel had been in slavery for over 400 years, God is, it feels like to the people that God is not present. That somehow God has forgotten them, that God has ignored them, that God has somehow thrown them away because they've been in slavery for 400 years. And God does this miraculous thing. He comes in and he messes up. He destroys the whole economy of Egypt and he takes a million Israelites and he takes them into a promised land of healing. And in the midst of all this, in Exodus chapter 19, God says this to the people of Israel. He says these words. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, destroyed it so that you could have life. And how I carried you on, what's the next two words? Eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And the Israelites loved this image of eagle's wings when it came to describing the protection and the healing of God. Did you know that when an eagle has a little baby eagle, and that little baby eagle can't fly or their wing is broken or there's something that's wrong, that actually what happens is they take that little eagle the mama eagle does, puts it under its wing and flies wherever they need to go to take care of them. And over time, this is the image that the people of Israel had when it came to God. That God had these eagle's wings of healing and underneath it we could find protection and healing. Psalm 91.4 says this, Under his wings, you will find, what's the word? Refuge. Folks, under the wings of God, you will find refuge. You will find relief. You will find protection. You will find healing. You know, God's people, the people of Israel, believed that there was healing under God's wings. And every once in a while... God would do something remarkable. There would be an act of healing or a miracle that would take place in the Old Testament. And it would grow the faith of the people of Israel again. And they would believe that healing happens. And then one day, a rabbi, a teacher by the name of Jesus, started walking planet Earth. But he wasn't just any teacher. He was actually a healer. In fact, some biblical scholars believe that 60% to 80% of all the gospel stories, of all the teachings and stories of Jesus, actually are about Jesus providing healing for people. And this is simply a foretaste of what God is going to do ultimately when he brings healing to the entire world. And here is just one of these stories of healing that Jesus has. In Mark chapter 5, we read this. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, that is Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, just imagine that you're this woman. For 12 years, you have anemia so bad and your whole body is filled with weakness and no energy because of blood coming out of your body. She's finan- she has suffered financially. The scripture tells us that she has no money left. Everything is gone. She's given it all away. Maybe she's just a beggar now on the edge of the street. And she has suffered spiritually. Because one of the things you have to realize that in that society, if you were a person who had blood or you were a person that had something that was exposed and you were bleeding outside yourself constantly, you were considered unclean. That would mean that everything you touched would become unclean. So the bed that she slept in, unclean. The chair that she sat in, unclean. And if you sat in that chair during this time, it would be unclean as well. It was very similar to the way AIDS was perceived in the 1980s when anyone with AIDS was kind of subjugated away from and marginalized outside of society. And there would be this stigma that every time you would see this woman, she's unclean, there's uncleanliness. She would have heard all kinds of stupid things that people would have said to her too. When people are suffering, people often say some really dumb things like this. If you just had enough faith, you would have been healed. If you just wasn't such a big sinner, God would do something in your life. If you just prayed more, then God would be happy with you and healing would come to your life. And she heard this over and over again, and this went on for 12 years. Maybe she's a mom. Most women during this day were. And if she was a mom, that meant that she could not touch her children. Think that each night you could not tuck them in to go to bed. You couldn't give them a hug. If a little kid hurts their finger and they go up to their mom and they're like, Mommy, Mommy, what do they want Mommy to do? Yeah, they want Mommy to kiss it. And she couldn't kiss it to make it better. She can't do that because if she does, it makes her child unclean. Then there's a good chance she was married. But her husband couldn't touch her either. And if she touched him, he would be considered unclean. Maybe she had lost her marriage by that time. It's been 12 years. Believe me, people leave for much worse or for much less reasons than that. And every morning she wakes up and she thinks, maybe today's the day. And she goes through her day and she says, oh God, please bring your healing today. And she goes through her day and it doesn't change and she goes to bed at night. And she goes, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And so she goes to bed at night and she says, God, please heal me. And some of you know what this is like. And she wakes up the next morning and it doesn't happen. 
But then she hears about this rabbi. He's new on the scene. He's a teacher. He doesn't just teach the law, but actually words getting out that he actually heals people. And the text continues on. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. I mean, she kind of just comes up with this spur-of-the-moment plan. that she's like, well, well maybe, just maybe if I, if I just touched him, that I would be made well. She's like, that's what i got to do. And so it's really quite of a brave thing. It's pretty bold what she does. She approaches this teacher, which most uh, folks, uh, most women would have never approached a male teacher during this time. She approaches him, but... Do you remember how she did that? She approached him from the front or the back? From the back. Now, if you approach someone from the back, you're probably scared and nervous of what they would say or what they would do. And yet she keeps thinking to herself, if I can just touch him. You know, uh, touching is, is really important and touching somebody is important. But this is one of the things I found out is often when we touch somebody, we often do so because we want something out of them. For example, when I was growing up as a kid, if uh, I really wanted to get something from my mom, I would start patting and touching her leg. I'd be like, Mommy, Mommy, whatever it is I want, and start pulling. I kept touching and touching and touching. And, you know, at first she might kind of put up a little... You know, fight, but eventually, if you just keep on touching, you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Eventually, she just caved in and she'd be like, okay, whatever you want. (laughs) My youngest daughter does this with me now. When she wants something, she comes up, she sits on my table, and she starts touching the back of my head. (laughs) She calls me Fuzzy Bear because it's very fuzzy back there, at least to her. And she goes, Fuzzy bear, can I have an Oreo? <laughs> and I'll say, no, you can't have an Oreo. And she'll just keep doing And then she'll put her big blue eyes up and she'll go, Fuzzy bear, can we have an Oreo yet? And eventually I'm just like putty, like, yes, just, you know, go do it. I mean, you might, you might, you know, today you might want to just start touching the person beside you. I don't, you know, only if you know them. Okay, don't I, Some of you who are single are like, wow, man, this is going to be a good dating place, you know. (laughs) Well, this woman gets this idea in her mind and she says, well, if I can just touch his clothes. Now, why does that thought occur to her? Well, first, one of the things you have to understand is what a rabbi would wear. A rabbi, a teacher of the law, would wear a robe, but then around the neck of them, they would wear a prayer shawl. And every rabbi or teacher would have this around his robe, and at the bottom of the prayer shawl were these tassels, and each of the tassels represented a commandment of God because these commandments were something that offered them protection and healing of God. 
rabbis would often say, we obey these commands that we're reminded of that are on our tassels because they exist for the healing of the world. But Jesus was not just any rabbi. He wasn't just any teacher. But this woman figured something out that no one else in Israel had figured out. And it was this. This is the one that we've been waiting on who has healing under his wings. If I can just touch his prayer shawl, if I could just touch the corner of his garment, I would be healed. She looks at Jesus, and on his prayer shawl, she sees these tassels, and she finally figures out something. That they are not just commandments of God, but it's actually the Son of God wearing the commandments, ready to say to anyone, tap here for help. Just tap right here, and your healing would be given to them. Then we read this. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This woman has this unexplainable, miraculous, electric moment. She's like, whoa. This is what healing feels like? Uh, This is what a normal body feels like? I'm whole. I'm well. Everything's good. She thinks, I got what I came for. I got my healing from Jesus. And you would think at this point, good, the story's over. It sounds great. Stop it there. But it goes on. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear. Now, this is an incredible story. You see Jesus that he has his power of God and also his humanity. He's 100% God, so he feels this power coming out of him. But he's also 100% human, and so he doesn't know who got it. So he says, who touched me? (laughs) And all the disciples are like, dude. Look at all these people around you. We have no idea. What do you mean? Who touched you? But Jesus knows somebody touched him. And he looks around. And the woman knows. And she looks at Jesus. And Jesus looks at her. And immediately she falls to her knees. And you know why she falls to her knees? Because she's scared. Because she has broken the law. She has broken the law. And now Jesus is unclean. 
Then there's this remarkable phrase. It says, she told him the whole truth. Man, can you imagine being there? You know, that little word whole or that phrase, the whole truth is very powerful. Because if you want healing from Jesus, you have to bring the whole truth. So this woman just falls at his feet and we don't know what she said, but maybe it was something like, Jesus, I've given up on God. And I feel bad about it, but it's been 12 years, and I've stopped praying, and I'm not a good mom, and I'm not a good spouse anymore, and things just aren't going so well. I feel like such a failure. I feel like a failure physically. I feel like a failure financially, and I feel like a failure spiritually. And then she waits. She's terrified because... She doesn't know how Jesus is going to respond because she has made him unclean. What's he going to do? And she's shaking like a leaf. And then Jesus says these words. Daughter. I bet nobody had called her daughter in those 12 years. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And exactly. And folks, when, when, when this happens, this is really important for you to realize. When, when this happens, when he says daughter, what he's saying is daughter of Israel, which means daughter of the most high God. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't thrown you away. You are the daughter of the Most High God. And He loves you. Now, I've been going through this story this week, and I started wondering, though, why does Jesus do this? I mean, she received her healing. Everything's going fine. Why does He have to, like, almost embarrass her and call her out in front of everybody? And everyone in the crowd now has to hear this truth about her. Why does he do that? Well, it's because of this. Jesus didn't want her to just receive physical healing. He wanted her to meet the healer of all things. Something inside of Jesus was just like, this is a woman that I really want to get to know. Because with Jesus, folks, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. With Jesus, everybody is welcome. With Jesus, there is no such thing as a perfect person. With Jesus, anything is possible. Folks, at the jar, it is okay to not be okay. You don't have to be okay. In fact... Jesus works better with people who finally come to the realization that they're not perfect and they're not okay. For close to 20 years, Luke was addicted to alcohol and drugs. He knew that he wasn't okay, and so he tried multiple different things to try to bring healing to his life, but nothing stuck. And then one day, God brought a miraculous healing to his life, and I'd like you to see his story. I'm Luke Waterhouse. 
Um, been going to the jar for about two years now. Um, for the majority of my life, I struggled with drugs and or alcohol. For the last 10 years, I had an alcohol addiction that kept getting worse. And uh, I kept praying and telling God, if you would just forgive me, then I promise I'll never drink again. You know, I'll be, I'll be over this. But it never um, worked out. You know, dozens and dozens of times I'd say, well, I'll quit, I'll quit, I'm going to get better. And uh, it was starting to just cause a wreck of my marriage. It got to a point where I said, I'm completely powerless over this. I've tried over and over again. I, do, I can't do it. I don't know what, what you want me to do. It was just a really bad time in my life. I just couldn't, I couldn't pull it together. And I'd accepted the fact that I couldn't stop. I had no power to stop. Even though I had a strong desire to stop. And uh, the more I tried to stop, the more it got worse and worse and worse. And then uh, one day I woke up and whatever it was, the desire to drink was completely gone. I didn't have any withdrawal symptoms. I just didn't drink anymore. You know, I tried for so long and now I didn't have any desire to go do it. And all the thoughts of me wanting to go drink were all gone. And this went on for weeks, and I didn't tell anybody because I was afraid, well, if I tell somebody, it's going to go away, like it'll wear off or something. I don't know. After about, I don't know, two or three weeks, I told my wife, I said, you know, I don't drink anymore. Then she was kind of in disbelief at first, and I had to convince her, I don't know what happened, but I don't drink anymore. And uh, she told me that she had put me on a prayer list at the jar and that her small group had been praying for me every day that they met. That's what was different. I had been trying my whole life to quit drinking or to quit addictive behaviors in general that I have. And I guess I've realized that it's, it's not something you can do. It's not you quitting drinking. You have to have the support of other people. I was on the prayer list for the jar. I was on the prayer list for her small group. And a miracle happened. I thought I was going to die, and then I'm alive again. I've had ups and downs, but ever since that day that I woke up and didn't drink anymore, it's been getting better and better and better. Every day I wake up, I truly say, this is the best day of my life. I can honestly say, and I tell everybody this, that it was a miraculous healing. You know, folks, for most of uh, Luke's life, he was nothing but a drunk and an addict. And to the rest of the world, he seemed like a nobody. But you see, in, in God's kingdom, nobody is a nobody. 
There's nobody that's a nobody. In God's kingdom, what he loves to do is he likes to take people who feel like they're nobodies and turn them into a somebody. And today, Luke is almost two years sober, one year, nine months. He uh, goes to celebrate recovery uh, regularly. And healing is happening in the relationships of his life. And this past summer, I had the joy of being able to baptize him. Because, folks, nobody is a nobody in the kingdom of God. The woman in our story, to the world, she felt like a nobody. But to Jesus, she was a somebody. In the story of Luke... The rest of the world looked at him as a a nobody, but to Jesus, he was a somebody. And today, maybe you're sitting there and you feel like a nobody. And I want you to know that if you feel that way, you're wrong because you are a somebody because of what Christ has done for you. In God's kingdom, folks, nobody is a nobody. And today... Jesus wants you to realize that you are a somebody and to receive healing from the brokenness that you have in your life. Today, I don't know what you need healing for. I don't know what you have been looking for healing. I don't know how long you've been asking for healing. I don't know what in your past you feel like has not been healed up or what is in your present or what relationships have not been healed. I just know this, folks. Healing happens. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So this is my question for you this morning. Where do you need healing? And this is how we're going to close today. Derek and Sarah are going to come up and they're going to sing that song that we just uh, sang at the very last, the third song, Spirit of the Living God. And we're going to actually invite God's Spirit to come and to move in this place and for lives to be changed and for healing to take place. This isn't a time to run out and see if you can be the first one out of the parking lot, okay? This is time for you to open yourself up to God and say, where do I need healing in my life? Maybe for some of you, you have a broken heart. Or maybe you have a broken relationship or you have this real strong feeling of loss that's in your life. Maybe there's a failure in you that is weighing you down. It weighs you down. And you've been carrying this secret. Uh, There was a person that came up in the first celebration and the person was just sharing. There's this secret that I've been holding on and, and it's just wearing me down and we prayed about it. She and I, and we prayed it, and we saw God move, and healing took place in her life. Maybe there's guilt. Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's an abortion. Maybe there's an affair. Maybe there's abuse that either was done to you or that you did to someone else. Maybe you were neglected. Maybe you got fired. Maybe you just feel like there's something in your life that you're doing really badly. Maybe you're a parent and you think, I'm just not connecting with my kids. My kids feel disconnected. I feel out of touch. There's no sense of 
togetherness between us. Or maybe you're a a child or a son or a daughter and you're like, I am not connecting with my parents very well. And so what we're going to do is simply have a time of healing in this place for prayer. To say, God, we don't know, but we trust and believe. We've seen you do it before. And we're going to ask for healing prayer. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up, and I'll be up here praying as well. I'll be over here in this far corner, and then there'll be people all up here that you can come up to ask any prayer for healing that you want. And this is all that's going to happen. They're going to lead us in a song, and during that song, we'll invite you to stand up at some point within that, and at any time... During the song that you want, you can come up and you can receive some prayer for healing. And they're just going to ask you, what's your name and what would you like healing for? And whatever that is, they will pray for that particular thing. Now, I know that many of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking this. Well, if I stand up and I go up there and I get prayed for... The people around me are going to know that I'm not perfect. Well, guess what? They already know you're not perfect. And so, this is your time to simply receive some prayer for healing. Folks, the jar is not a place where we cheer on perfect people. The jar is a place where we cheer on imperfect people... And we take them to a perfect God who can heal anything. And we say, God, would you be willing to move in this moment? And so let me ask you this morning, what do you need healing for? I wouldn't wait until tomorrow or next week or next month or next year to get whatever that is healed up in your life. And so today, may you come and may you receive healing prayer and Derek and Sarah will lead us in this song inviting God's spirit to come and to move because this is the truth folks God loves to heal his kids